Maybe you felt chills or goosebumps. Perhaps it's an overwhelmed feeling of something bigger than you or more complex. Whatever the feeling, God put the response in your soul as a reminder of His presence, power, and glory. It's called awe, and He wants to remind us of it every day in many ways. Join us as we discover how God has used His awe to inspire others to follow Him deeper in their lives. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Awe by Bruce. Letting God Be Enough is a book out by Erica Wiggenhorn. And it fits with so many things in the Bible that seem counterintuitive in the sense that we hear the first shall be last. You must die to yourself to live. Well, award-winning author, Bible teacher, and founder of Every Life Ministry gives us another in her latest book, Letting God Be Enough. The subtitle is Why Striving Keeps You Stuck and How Surrender Sets You Free. She uses Moses's feeling of inadequacies with God to speak to the nagging questions of self-doubt that many of us have. Erica helps guide us towards the freedom the Lord wants to give us as we seek Him as the true source of our strength. Let's find out more as we welcome Erica to our show. Erica, thank you for joining us to talk about this important topic that there's actually so many books out there filling people's shelves about this subject, but here we can really get down to what God's perspective is in this subject. So I'm so glad that you wrote this, and I'm glad you're here to talk to people. Well, Bruce, I'm so glad to be here, and I'm thrilled that you picked up on the uniqueness of letting God be enough compared <laughs> to lots of books that are out there yeah. talking about imposter syndrome and overcoming a fear of inadequacy. And their slant is really how the world invites us to deal with this issue. Leading psychologists, thought leaders, industry experts, you know, they have gone round and round offering solutions as to how we deal with our fear of inadequacy. And those solutions are not bad solutions. You know, they mm -hmm. say, look in the mirror, cite your successes, recount your past moments where you succeeded. Remind yourself of what you've been able to accomplish in the past. Look at your education. Look at your skill set. Those are not bad suggestions. We generally have a tendency to downplay things when people give us compliments. You know, we're like, oh, it was nothing. No, 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 not me. Not really. <laughs> no, no, no. You know, I think some of that is our church culture. We think that it's prideful maybe to accept a compliment from someone yes. else. Yes. But the reality is, is that giving ourselves a great big pep talk and looking inside of ourselves to overcome our fear of inadequacy, while it's not bad advice, mm -hmm. it's inadequate advice, <laughs> if, if you will, <laughs> yep. uh, because there will be things that we will face in this life that there's nothing on our resume that prepared us for that. You know, there's nothing right. on my husband's co-worker's resume. She's a brilliant woman. She has a graduate degree. She's run million dollar companies. And there was nothing on her resume when she walked into the office two weeks ago and said, my 11 year old daughter has bone cancer. I'm not sure what the next steps are. Oh. Or when the lady in your Bible study shows up at church and says, my husband left last night. I don't know if he's coming back. Right face stuff in life. We face hard stuff and there's yes. nothing on our resume to prepare us for it. And mm -hmm. no amount of pep talking 
is going to get us through it. True. We, we need God. We need something bigger. And so what's beautiful to me as I began researching this whole struggle with inadequacy, self-doubt, imposter syndrome, how God dealt with it in Moses, because Moses is whom I refer to, Bruce, as yeah. the greatest self-doubter of the Bible. <laughs> and he gave God all of the reasons why he wasn't enough, why he wasn't the guy for the job, why God should pick somebody else. And while God could have unrolled Moses's resume, Mm -hmm. given him a pep talk, you know, he could have said, well, of course, I'm going to call you Moses to be the guy to go in and confront Pharaoh. I mean, right. you grew up in Pharaoh's court. Like, you know how this whole thing works. You speak Egyptian, you know, all the protocols of the court, you understand their religion. You know, you know when to walk in and when to sit down and when to speak. I mean, of course I would pick you, Moses. I mean, God could have said that to him. Yeah. But he didn't. Good point. He didn't give Moses any props at all, which uh -huh. might have been nice for a guy who struggled with self-doubt <laughs> and a fear of inadequacy. But God didn't give him props. Mm -hmm. He simply promised him his presence. Yeah. And ask him to rely upon that. And I can tell you're this this is passionate for you and that you're you're doing this out of love. And I think if somebody's listening and they're thinking, well, I'm trying these books, don't I don't know if I need something else or somebody tell me I need something else. What what I hear you saying, or at least what I feel coming from you, is that we can't be prepared for for so many of these things. It's out of love that you're saying, here's how God does it, and here's how he works and what he's up to. Absolutely. You know, God's prescription for our fear of inadequacy is not a pep talk. Yeah. God's prescription for our fear of inadequacy is intimacy, intimacy with him. And that comes through a relationship. There's no magic bullet, right? I would love yeah. to tell you, go buy a copy of Letting God Be Enough, and I'm going to give you three quick and easy steps to where you're never going to feel inadequate again. I mean, that would be pretty amazing. I can't promise you that. But what I can promise you is that you will get a prescription to build intimacy with God. And okay. if you build intimacy with him, these anxious thoughts that flood your mind, the worry about the future, the fear of the unknown, the constant striving to secure certain outcomes, that is going to be lessened in your life. And you're going to feel a freedom as you lean in and surrender to God because you will know that your father is good and he has a good plan for you. And all of these lies that are swirling around in your head are going to be uprooted and replaced with truth. The truth of who God is and who you are to him as his beloved child. And so, Erica, so let me uh, play devil's advocate or something for a minute, uh, because yeah. all that is so attractive. But what if I'm sitting here and I go, Erica, you just don't understand. I've never been good with intimacy. And you're telling me about intimacy with God. And oh, my gosh, talk about fear and scare. Yeah, that's just that's a lot. Yeah. 
What do you say to somebody? (laughs) Sure, that's such a great question. And I think Moses really struggled with intimacy as well. I mean, we look at his life and he was torn away from his family at the age of three or four and sent off to live in Pharaoh's court. And he seems to have this fascination with his biological heritage. And so he wanders out among them and kind of watches them and and finds it inconceivable that two Israelites would argue with each other. So he sort of set them up in his mind as just these perfect people. And he doesn't really know where he fits in because the Israelites reject him. He angers Pharaoh and he Uh lead a Midian. He doesn't really know where his place is. And so intimacy is a big struggle for Moses as well. Mm -hmm. And to me, one of the most beautiful passages of scripture, Bruce, is in Exodus 33. In this moment, Moses has experienced the ultimate betrayal by his brother Aaron. He went against what Moses had depended upon him to do and lied to Moses about it and then essentially blamed Moses for his own failure. Yeah. And in that moment, you know, Moses is at the ultimate end of himself and he's got, you don't understand how hard this is. Like I'm out, release me from this assignment right now, strike me dead. I'm finished. And in that moment, what God does for Moses is God basically answers the cry of Moses' heart Mm -hmm. that he doesn't even know how to give voice to. And Moses says to God, show me your glory. And essentially what Moses is saying to God in that moment is he's, look, I know what you can do. I know you're a powerful God. I know you can work miracles. I know you could fix all of this at the snap of your almighty finger. I know that about you. But where I'm really struggling is if you're good. I need to know your character, God. I need to know your heart. And that's really what Moses is asking God is when he says, show me your glory, show me who you really are. Mm-hmm. And in that question, how God answers is he's, look, you are going to just go over there in the cleft of the rock. You're going to just set yourself aside. You're going to take a time out, Moses, mm-hmm. and I'm going to cover you with my almighty hand. And I am going to allow all of my goodness to pass in front of you. God mm-hmm. knew exactly what Moses's heart needed in that moment, and he gave it to him. And he followed it up with reassurance. You know, I am the compassionate God, abounding in love, rich in mercy for a thousand generations. All of the things that Moses's heart needed to know about the character of God, God showed him Mm. and told him. And so I think for those of us that have a tendency to struggle with intimacy, ask God, show me your glory, show me who you really are because I'm struggling, God. And I think that's a prayer he loves to answer. Yeah, I love your answer. That really is beautiful. And it really hits on just how loving and gracious God really is and, and how badly he wants us to know him. Yes. Let me uh, ask you, in your book, you talk about the imposter syndrome and thought maybe you could 
tell us a little bit about that and how that plays into the whole intimacy and the different fears and things that we have about doing God's work. So imposter syndrome is really just this inner feeling that we are a fraud and Mm -hmm. that any success that we have, anything we're doing well, anything we're getting right, anything we're accomplishing is, is just merely a fluke. And what actually is awaiting us around every corner is failure. And if people knew the real us, if people knew how we really felt about ourselves, because we're out there faking it till we make it, you know, feigning confidence and life is good and we're fine and everything's wonderful. You know, this is the attitude that we're, that we're putting out there for the world to see. If people knew how we really felt about ourselves, they would reject us. And so we have to continue to wear this mask of success and accomplishments and loving life and loving ourselves and everything is perfect and good. And essentially what that does is it leads us to continual striving. So striving to achieve, striving to please other people so they don't reject us, striving to keep up an image that we uh, want other people to think about us, striving to keep up with their perceptions. And it really becomes a life of bondage. Mm. Yeah, right? And the thing about it that is especially hard, Bruce, is that in Christian circles, we really applaud that person. We applaud that Christian who who will never say no, They'll always be the one to show up. They'll always be the one on the doorstep with the casserole. They'll always be the one that will say yes to one more committee or service project. We applaud those people. And the problem is, is that a lot of those people, and this is my personal experience I'm bringing here to the table, we're doing all those things out of fear out of fear of being rejected or fear of people thinking less of us or thinking we're not a good Christian. We're doing all of those things out of a place of fear rather than from a heart of love, how Christ wants us to do it. Do you find that somewhere down the line from what you've studied and seen that do they start end up hating themselves? Oh, absolutely. Because the more they are sort of living this double life, right? The more we're hiding behind a mask and we're exhausted and worn out. You know, we have a tendency to become bitter, cynical, resentful. Honestly, I think this may be one of the reasons why a lot of people are walking away from the faith. They're like, you know what, this whole Christian life thing, this is too hard. Like if I'm not perfect, People reject me. And that's not true. That's a lie of the enemy. But we have lived in that lie for so long, it's really hard to break out of it. And so in letting God be enough, really what we're doing is we're just unmasking that lie for what it is and taking a look at God's prescription to replace that lie with truth and realize that we don't have to be all things to all people at all times in order to be a good Christian Mm -hmm. and in order for people to accept us. Um, We say no, and that's okay. We can make mistakes and that's okay. We're human. I was just reading the thing about, uh, I think it was a Lifeway research or maybe Barnum 
it was talking just about that very thing that people are willing to listen to Christians and hear about Christianity as long as they're seeing them have their faith affect their life was one of the things that they actually was solving their own problems, which means you have to be willing to admit that you have them. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah. you know, how can people see God's grace if they don't see the true humanness of us and the fact that God still loves us and wants to work with us at those points? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's really the whole gospel, right? Is that yeah. I can't fix myself. I can't answer every why in the world. I can't figure out every how behind how God works. He is entirely other mm -hmm. than I am. And yeah. so in letting God be enough, we are not only acknowledging the greatness of God's capabilities, also embracing the goodness of his character. Yeah. I like the fact you keep coming back to that, that uh, he wants to show us the goodness of his character. What are some practical ways without, you know, probably going too deep into a book or anything, what are some other practical things that might catch somebody's attention right now that, that they could be doing and they're realizing, oh boy, I, I am, I'm, I feel insecure, I feel a lot of fear and anxiety. Anything you could tell them right now that would be helpful? Sure. Well, a couple of very quick signs to know if you are striving yeah. and operating out of a place of fear. One is isolation. If you're not talking to anybody about how you're actually feeling inside or what mm. you're thinking about yourself inside, nobody knows that. That is just a conversation that is playing on repeat in your own head, but nobody else gets to hear it. That's a big sign that you are striving and operating out of a place of fear. Another big sign is when you are micromanaging everything and everyone. You are micromanaging your spouse. You cannot conceive of allowing your child to make a mistake or fail. So you're always mm rushing behind them, cleaning up their messes and orchestrating everything so that life never is uncomfortable for them or they're never allowed to make a mistake. Anytime we are micromanaging people, projects, things, that's another big sign. So what do we do? Okay. What's the antidote for that, right? How do we yeah. stop doing that? The biggest way really that we stop doing that is we get our face in the book and not the Letting God Be Enough book, although that would be helpful. But the book, the, mm -hmm. the living word, we get ourselves in the book, which is why in Letting God Be Enough, I've included a suggested Bible reading plan, because the living word is what gives us increased faith and gives us the power to really transform our thoughts, which then lead to changes in our feelings, which then result in changes in our behavior. But we've got to get our, our face in that book and we've got to live like it's true. And mm -hmm. again, that comes in the context of relationship. I can't know someone's character if I don't have a relationship with them. I can right. perceive what I think their character might be like, but I can't know it for a fact if I'm not in a close relationship with them. You know, when my son comes and asks me for $50 and I say, well, what did your dad say? And he says, you know, well, your dad said you should give me $50. And I, <laughs> 
And I say, well, mm, I don't think so because I know my husband's character and I know yeah. my husband is not going to give our 15 year old son $50 when he isn't telling us what he needs the $50 for, right? Right. <laughs> you explain to me why you need this and then I'll consider giving it to you. <laughs> right. Why? Because I know my husband's heart. I know his character. I know he's not going to place something in the hands of our son without knowing for sure that it's going to be a blessing in his life and not a curse. It's the same with God. When we really are wrestling, we're wrestling with trusting God with these areas of our lives. It comes from, gosh, I, I think I know who God is. I know a whole lot about him. I, I listen to sermons about him at church on Sunday but I don't really know him. God, I need you to show me your glory. I need you to show me who you really are. And that comes from time spent with him, whether it's going for a walk and just allowing him to speak to you, reading your Bible, listening to your Bible, listening to podcasts like this, where people like Bruce are ushering you into thinking about and contemplating the character of God and the goodness all of those things help us grow in our faith. One of the things that happens is that it seems to take away people being understanding or, or feeling positive or strong about maybe a direction God's heading them in that he wants to take them in. They begin to question a calling. Absolutely. I mean, that's exactly what happened to Moses, right? Yeah. Like, He's like, well, who am I? You know, who am I to do this thing? And how many times have we heard that? You know, how many times have we heard somebody say, well, you know, who am I to mentor or disciple that person? Or who am I to teach that Sunday school class? Or or who am I to mentor a high school student or, or a college student at church? We we default into self-doubt. That's mm -hmm. our that's our natural default. That was Moses's natural default. And I love how God started with saying, Moses, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. But God didn't stop there. When we keep going in that verse in Exodus 3, verse 10 through 12, God says, I will be with you. And then he goes on and he says, and this shall be a sign to you when you lead the people out. Uh, now, I don't know, Bruce, if you like to write in your Bible, I write in my Bible. Yeah. And that when has a big red circle around it because what jumped off the page at me was God did not say to Moses, if you are obedient enough and lead the people out, if you are spiritual enough to hear my voice and understand my will, yeah. if you are clever and a good enough communicator and a strong enough leader to get the people to follow you, there was no if in God's call upon Moses's life, there was just a win. Mm -hmm. Just a win. God's the in it. If God's called you to it, if God's purposed it, there's no if, friend. Yeah. <laughs> there's only a win. Only a win. <laughs> that reminds me. Uh, I mean, one of my favorite stories is in Judges when uh, Gideon's there kind of hiding from the Midianites. He's hiding down in a, a pit. And the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Hail, mighty warrior. <laughs> right. Gideon's like, wait, is there someone else here? Who yeah, who's, who's behind me? <laughs> me, right, what? <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, that's that's how God views you. 
It's what he can turn you into, not what, you know, I can turn myself into. Exactly. Uh, in all your studying of this, did anything like super shock you? you? You just hit that word that you underlined. Anything else that really just like caught you off guard that you weren't expected to see? One of the things that really struck me is the order of the narrative of Moses's life. We know Moses wrote, you know, this is Moses's autobiography we're reading yeah. here. And yeah. I found it so fascinating, Bruce, that we start out with a guy who prefers to defer to his brother, Aaron. He doesn't yeah. want any part of this call on his life. Then finally, he starts to rise to the occasion. He begins to take this leadership role. He seems to start to get his groove. He's following God. He's doing the thing. Okay, we're rolling here. We're doing good. We're doing good. And then right after God brings Moses to really this pinnacle moment of success, yeah. in his life where he parts the Red Sea through the work of God, through the staff, and their enemies are destroyed. They're right on the other side of the Red Sea. They're singing and dancing, praising the Lord. This is the hallmark moment of Israel's history, right? They talk right. about passing through the Red Sea more than any other event in the annals of scripture and in wow. their historical documents. This is it. This is Moses's mountaintop moment. <laughs> and right after that, Moses instantly takes us into two stories that highlight his limitations. The uh -huh. first one is in the battle with the Amalekites and he uh -huh. grows physically exhausted and the Amalekites start to prevail in the battle and he needs Aaron and her to be holding up his arms so that Israel yeah. win the battle. So immediately after this success, Moses says, oh, and by the way, I had a lot of physical limitations in following God. And then mm -hmm. after that, immediately he goes into the visit with his father-in-law Jethro and Jethro's watching him and all day long, the Israelites are coming before Moses and he's solving all their disputes. He's listening to all their squabbles and arguments. He's telling them who's right, who's wrong. This is how you solve the problem. You know, we're told from sunup to sundown, this is what Moses did all day long. Kind of sounds a lot like parenthood. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and Jethro's looking at him and he's, he's like, Moses, what you're doing is not good. You can't do this all by yourself. You're going to get worn out. But here's what you can do. You can delegate some of this to some other people, some other trustworthy people that can mm -hmm. help you in this endeavor. And if you do that, everybody's going to go home in peace and you're going to be able to endure you're going to be able to walk this thing out well, Moses. Uh -huh. That was so fascinating. Moses wanted us to know, and obviously God wanted us to know, right? Because God, it's God's book, that we can't just rest on past successes in mm -hmm. our following God. We can't just say, well, you know what? I accepted Jesus as my Savior I know I did it because it was this deeply spiritual moment for me, and God did some incredible things in my life right after I confessed my sins before him, and, 
And then we just kind of ride that wave out for the rest of our Christian walk. Yeah. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You got to get some other people around you to yeah. walk this thing out. This is all about community, folks. We're all in this together. And to me, that was very fascinating that Moses strategically, or God, I should say, really, strategically told Moses' story in that order. Because I yeah. think a lot of the reasons why we get stuck in these places of self-doubt uh -huh. is because we are stuck in a place of self-reliance and yes. we're trying to be a good Christian spouse, parent, coworker, church member. We're trying to do that all by ourselves. And while our salvation is personal, the call to follow Jesus is communal. And Moses made it so clear in this narrative, we're not going to do it well as long as we're trying to do it alone. Wow, that's such a good point. I just think of my own life where I've thought sometimes because God's done something in my life, I'm supposed to take on all these things. And and that's not what it's about. It is about a community. Oh, good one. Well, I want to thank you for being on and just appreciate everything that, that you're doing. And if you have anything else you want to say to the people that are listening about your book, when exactly or where they can get it, best place to order it, uh, your website, anything, good time to do it right now. Okay. The best place to connect with me and find out more about the book, Letting God Be Enough, is just head on over to my website. It's just my name, ericawigginhorn.com. Uh, you can find out more about the book there. You can also download three free eBooks. And maybe you were, you were listening yeah. today and you're like, that's me. I really struggle in intimacy with God. I don't even know how to pray. There's some free eBooks on there. One is 50 Days to Intimacy with God. Uh, that's yours for the taking. And there's also one there, the Busy Woman's Guide to Praying for Friends and Family. It's not just for women. Uh, men would would be able to utilize that resource as well. But the whole thing uh, where all those free eBooks are is called the Busy Woman's Bundle. Men can definitely read Game through the eBooks as well. That's what it's called. Okay. And head over to my website and check that out and download it and just start small, right? Start yes. small in growing in your relationship with God. Boy, that's great. Well, Erica, thank you so much for for being on and, and God bless you and, and keep up the great work. Thank you, Bruce. You keep up the great work. All right. Well, Erica, you take care of yourself and God bless. And we'll talk to you later. All right. God bless you, Bruce.